when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, September 10th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 185. I am your host, Austin Walker, and joining me today, uh, an illustrious crew. It's it's Waypoint Radio's people. It's it's us. It is Danielle Riendo. Hello. Hi. Patrick Klepek. I can't feel anything anymore. Rob Zachney. No. I don't know what Patrick's on about. I played Spider-Man last night. <laughs> Wait, did you do that after the game? Right. What game? <laughs> yep. That's, Shout outs yeah. to the people of Chicago for kicking things off right. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. It wouldn't be real if your hearts weren't broken. You know that. Uh, but, 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 okay. I don't, I, saw, I can't do it. I you can't almost called it. me Boston. That's how distraught you are. It. I can't, I don't even want to go there. Just <laughs> he came back. Aaron Rodgers came back out. <laughs> And brought it back for him. He didn't you know? have a leg. It was like, okay, so there was this game, a very important uh-huh. game, an NFC conference game, where Jake Cutler hurt his knee. He did. And played a particularly Cutler-esque game, played <laughs> shitty, left the game. They got yeah. better. And he got dragged to hell and back and two degrees reputation. Never fully bounced back. Yeah, that was it. This was like... The nightmarish reverse of that coin, <laughs> where it was like, in first, it was actually a huge relief to see Aaron Rodgers come back out because when he got carted off, like it was scary. Like yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a great anyone, player. You yes, really injuries don't. are bad. Yes, yes. and they like, sure are. He is a treat to watch. Like yes. it is like amazing. Even as he was like deconstructing the Bears defense, it was still awesome. Nevertheless, he comes back and you're like, oh, how good can he be? He looked like basically like his career might be ending at the at the halftime. And then he came out, and he just ruined everything. He, he like just, just like ripped my soul from my body. There, it was a good moment because Rob's, as if any other, had gone to bed. Mine had also gone to bed. Um, my wife went to bed. She's like, it's 20 to 0. I'm tired. My ass is going to bed. The bears pulled it off. And then like, Rob and I slowly had to watch this unravel we had, we took we became each other's significant others last night. <laughs> You're allowed to be that, you know. I think we, that that's fair. We knew we were like like Patrick said. Like even during halftime, he was like, "I still feel like something's going to go wrong." We're still up waiting twenty for that points, issue. and I have I feel no confidence whatsoever. This is just what life has trained me for the brutal realities of being a Bears fan. And that's what I'm it glad is. you I'm glad you had each other in this moment of darkness. Thank you. I'm glad, Rob, that you had Spider-Man to go to as soon as uh, the, the horror was over. How's that treating you? Uh, it's treating me pretty well. I think like a thing that has definitely caught me off guard is that 
there's a lot to combat in that game. Like, there's a lot of stuff Spider-Man can do. And it's tricky because, like, a lot of games uh, with this with, with a kind of simplified combat system, it's very easy to sort of muddle your way through just by mashing buttons really fast and, yeah. like, stuff happens and you win. But that almost makes it harder to learn because there are enough, like, difficult encounters that you actually do want to get good at being, like, Spider-Man in combat. And so if you start, like, leaning on that, just, like, mashing all the buttons and watching crazy Spidey shit happen, you're actually going to have a lot of trouble in this game because then you're not going to have the control over the engagement you need to have uh, to really excel once you've got, like... A heavy, uh, one of the sort of bull rusher characters, uh, and like two guys with guns and a bunch of brawlers. That things get pretty hairy, and you need to actually have some finesse. It's a game yeah. whose combat uh, floor is surprisingly high, but its ceiling is also surprisingly low. So, mm. like the arc you'll end up going through is that once you wrap your head around those basics oh. of like dealing with X, Y, and Z, it's like very thrilling for a little while, and then yeah. becomes like frustratingly rote because the game stops throwing additional tricks at you. It's just sort of like, oh, you figured that all that stuff out? Cool. Like, you're good. Um, well, there's just a ton of combat. Like, it does yeah. not stop. You're just constantly stopping crimes, and the majority of the, of the like, main story missions end up devolving into a big, a big you know, bash at the end. Um, and so you end up finding that same loop that works for you, that same set of combos, and it's like... Yeah, okay. I It's one of the reasons why I do my best to play that game in stealth whenever I can, because I actually think the stealth felt a lot better, um, especially once you start getting some more of the stealthy abilities. Where I got to last night was um, a sequence a sequence at, the, at a gallery uh, where you play as MJ, actually. Yeah, that sequence and, rough. Hmm, that sequence rough, I say. <laughs> well, but I... I ended up like I liked it a lot in the uh, in the sense that like playing as MJ and like just doing a bunch of investigation shit yeah. was cool and like yes. this is the thing that's missing from a lot like a lot of great comic books have multiple point of view characters yes, games trap you in one and it was so cool having this beat where it's set up where like oh here's MJ doing investigation stuff that sets up the broader context of the story that Spider Man is going to be operating in but then also you go from that into like them starting out some relationship stuff too that like creates it's such a cool little touch like if nothing else from this game gets stolen like relentlessly i want that to be stolen like more more point switches. of view characters yeah yeah, yeah. yeah totally well like, and i i'm happy that she is a perspective character who you play as miles is also a character in that game miles morales who you play as um so and he's separate from spider-man yeah Yes, you're, you're like Peter brief, Parker. Brief, yeah, brief, part. brief sequences. Yeah, yeah. I want to be clear. You're not like playing as Miles. Like I, ha- I haven't finished this game yet. I don't. You do, no, you play as Miles. No, no I'm, I'm saying I have not played as Miles Morales. Oh. Ultimate Spider-Man. You know what I mean? I have not done that. That's at the, the point part- in the game that I'm at. I'm playing Miles Morales, young kid from New York. I see. Okay, so whose story intersects with Spider-Man's? I'm confused. Again. I was of the uh, <laughs> impression. Yeah, Miles Morales is one of the Spiders Man. Yeah, well, but that the, has to in happen the, in the comics. But you may be confusing it's with in the, the movie. future. The movie that's coming out in December, he is the star, but not in this video game. Okay, right in this game, he is Miles Morales, the son of Jefferson Davis, a cop. A cop Sorry, what? Right? Okay. Yeah, you'll see. 
Which means his his so if he had taken his father's last name, he'd be Miles Davis. Get it? Shout outs to Brian Michael Bendis Miles for the Prower, worst. Miles Prower, right? That's, That's him. His name? Yep. Okay. Tails. Tails, man. Uh, yeah. Miles is there as a kid, right? Like as a teenager. And his story intersects with Spider-Man's. There's a playable segment that I've played. I don't know if there's more than that. I suspect there's another playable segment or two. There's I'm a not going to. Yeah, that's my guess. Um, and I have no idea where it goes. But like, I love switching to those perspectives. That stuff is that stuff worked for me pretty much all the way through, um, or all the way through as far as I am at this point. Uh, but I do think that like the stealth mechanics in the sections I've played that are from other perspective characters have not been super fun um, because. You go from having all of this expressivity as Spider-Man to being characters who basically have like like one axis of of things to do, and it's that axis is don't get seen uh, or like take a picture. And I like taking pictures. I loved actually the first half of that MJ bit where you're just like taking pictures of all the gallery space. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to do that on my own without having the objective to do it. That part was really dope, um, and I want to you know. I'm with you. More of that in games in general, please. They they also do a really I don't want to spoil how it, it plays out, but they do some smart overlaps between characters and the perspective shifting. Like Ooh, awesome. people people know what I mean when you encounter this sequence and it's the kind of thing that oh boy, I wish the game had done this like five more times. It's and, and maybe part of the reason it works is because they only do it once. Um but it shows the potential for if you know, this game is an inevitable sequel or other games um, and superhero games in general, like the ways they can have those perspectives interact and do mechanically clever things. Uh, cool. I, I wish the game did more of that, but there was, there's a specific sequence that is is a ton of fun because of the way they kind of like flip the script on you. Cool. So the question I had, did you find this vision of New York in its cleanliness and brightness almost <laughs> sinister? I mean, what cleanliness and brightness? There's a gunfight on every corner. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm, I, so I have like literally the opposite impression of it as someone who lives in New York, which yeah. is like it is the most cynical version of New York I've ever fucking seen. Uh, I've like it is a vision of New York that does not ever explain why a person would live in New York, outside of like Peter Parker is a nice guy. Like, there's there is literally. A robbery happening constantly in that game. There are drug dealers that Peter Parker has to bust, and he's going to – let me tell you, he's so happy to bust drug deals. He's never been happier. He loves sending drug dealers to jail. That is his number one favorite thing to do. And getting those surveillance towers working again. Can I ask about this? Um, As somebody who doesn't even necessarily like Spider-Man that much, I don't hate him. He's just never been my guy. It seems like this is like Spider-Man the cop, the game. Uh, that's what I'm seeing. He has from, an like, alter Twitter. ego in the game that he talks about and brags about called Spider Cop. So, oh yeah. god, um, there, there, there is a through line in in this game. This is something I'm going to write about later this week about sort of like like the game takes like a very pro surveillance stance, but not necessarily arguing for surveillance. Like there are undercurrents to like, for example, Peter Parker like by unlocking these towers, participating in like a pro in a, a surveillance state. Uh, then the uh, Alex Jones character of J. Jonah Jameson is the one who's pushing back, saying, like, I said we shouldn't do this shit. This is a bad idea to let uh, Oscorp, like, tap into the police and let, you know, so they're, they're like, these weird political uh, Right, but the other stuff that he says is that Spider-Man is going to eat your babies. Right, exactly. And so well, that's it's the mixing like, yes, of those two yes, things. Yes. It ends up being really tough, right? Yeah. Um, oh, in general, it does feel like, you know, 
this is a game where the, there's a lot of dramatic irony, where immediately you, the player, know what the fuck is up with Doc Ock. You know what's going on with like Who? some what's other... Who? What's that character? Uh, Dr. Otto Octavius. I've never heard him mm. called anything else. Yes. Sony Thank certainly you. didn't send us an email being upset with us for using the word octopus in our oh, no. paragraph about how good the handling of Dr. <laughs> Otto Octavius is. Wow. See, that definitely did not occur. But that email is under embargo. <laughs> it might be. I don't. I don't. Twenty ninety nine. You can open that God email. Damn it! So I, Sony's yeah. official stance basically is like Spider Man Two totally sucked. No Didn't reason exist. anyone should have no seen that. No one's seen it. Well, like, and I get yeah. it to some degree. I do think that it's fair to be like, hey, you know, a lot of people haven't. Homecoming is the first thing they've seen from Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get it a little bit. But his name is Dr. Otto Octavius, and the game, the first frame with him in it is him with, like, four giant octopus arms attached to him. While things are going wrong. Right. Like, they're going to make that character happen, and then they pull back, and instead they develop him in a really cool way, like Patrick described in the review. Uh, Anyway, I'm not going to hammer on this. I think that game is, is solid. I think that, like, I need to finish it because I really, the thing that I'm trying to work through is how much the game knows that Peter Parker is Peter Parker is kind of a simp, kind of just like a naive <laughs> white dude who trusts in the institutions. I know Patrick, you wrote about his belief that people could change for the better and how that kind of bites him in the ass at some places. Um, but I, I, I think there is a world in which I like a story of Peter Parker learning that the reason he has to be Spider Man is because actually there, the systems of justice and the systems of the city that he loves are not actually helping everybody. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Would, I, I don't know how don't much think... the game is aware of that side of it, but it sets up a lot of interesting threads that if they choose, like, right. hopefully, if they choose to pick up on those threads in, like, the most of what the game plays with is like his his bias towards like forgiveness and like empathy sure. and and people um, uh, eventually doing or potentially doing the right thing. But it does set up. Like threads, like the surveillance stuff, like um, you know, deference to like Oscorp and and other institutions. That if there would be a very interesting sequel, that like okay, like the naivety, na- na- uh, naiveness of Peter Parker and like Spider Man, like ends up like really fucking him in ways that he finally is forced to like recognize like the wrongness, or at least why there should be a, a healthy distrust of the institutions, even if you end up participating in them because. In his mind, the ends justify the means. But in in, in this version of, of Peter Parker and Spider Man, there is no questioning of the right. why. It's just of course, right? Uh, speaking of things where I feel like the the main character's uh, perspective is a little bit called into question, uh, and I, the question of whether or not a game would be better off with other perspective characters. Certainly, uh, the game that just the 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 review embargo just came up today for Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And I believe that all of you have put some time into it. We have a review up on the site uh, by Dia Lucina, who did an incredible job uh, and Hell who yeah. just recorded a podcast uh, article read that should be in the feed by the time you hear this. It is in the feed now, right? Um, and a, a conversation with Rob Zachney. So I know, Rob, you've been talked out about Tomb Raider, but <laughs> I want I want to know from y'all three, you know, I edited Dia's review, so I know what, what her perspective is on it, but... How do you feel about the game uh, so far, given how much time you've put into it? So who's played the most? We should probably figure that part out first, right? Uh, I've, I've made it to the hub area, which is about four or five hours into the game, I think. That's a little more than me. <laughs> I only got to the plane crash. All right, so early game feelings okay. then, presumably. Yeah, Danielle, go ahead. Uh, yeah. 
All right. I mean, I'm I'm even less than that. I'm no, only still, like go ahead. You know, a couple hours in. But yeah, I the thing I'm having some tension with this game because I loved the second one. I didn't actually play the first one, mm. uh, but the second one, Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, I thought was one of the most fun sort of video game ass video games I've played in a long time. Um, it was one of the only like AAA games I beat that year, like in uh, 2016, I think, like New Year's Day 2016 or something. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> just a really, really fun mix of mostly uh, the sort of challenge tombs that are just puzzles, you know, sort of like action, action adventure puzzles, 3D uh, puzzling, and then of course the sort of fun traversal stuff. I love climbing, I love jumping, I love swimming, I love doing all that stuff, and the combat has always been fine. You know, nothing necessarily amazing, but there's a lot of sort of crafting to support it. There's some stealth. So um, I've always just enjoyed the pace of those games. Uh, it's been really, really fun. So I'm playing this and I'm enjoying it. And also definitely seeing everything that Dia, uh, you know, pointed out in her review, which is a pretty muddled take uh, on Lara Croft. I should also say, like, super, super briefly, I had a friend who worked on the game, so full disclosure, uh, she, I don't think she's even in the credits. Uh, she worked on it for a time. Uh, but it seems like this game has uh, wants to kind of have its cake and eat it, too, regarding, right. oh, you know what? It's actually pretty fucked up to be both a white savior and also <laughs> a, you know, a white person, a very, very privileged, rich white person who goes around to other cultures and steals their artifacts. That's pretty fucked up. But also, isn't it really fun to do that? It, it's right. It seems to already be kind of doing that, and uh, much more so. It's much more pointed in this game than the last one. The story in the last game was utterly incomprehensible. Oh, to the, the first, point the where first you one could... was, yeah. The, the, the plots yeah. of like the the larger conspiracy plot of this arc has been just complete <laughs> nonsense in a way that is not yeah. like, it, hey, I. I love me some fucking nonsense. Like I watch horror movies, like you know, uh, yeah. most days of the week. Um, so I have a high tolerance for for nonsense. But these are just just so muddled in a way that yeah. it's not even like fun, goofy national treasure. It's just like really like this is yeah. So, but you know, I think the characterization of, of Laura has been interesting, or at least like curious to watch how they how they've handled that. Um, and I'm with you, Danielle. Like the explorer, I I love exploring big. Spaces, I think, like it is, it is rooted probably in our shared appreciation for platformers. Like yeah. there, there is that stuff there. Even though these games aren't platformers, it's a game that like rewards exploring spaces and attention to detail. Like that's a part they got, uh, I think, like really finely tuned in in the second one. Like that was my, I, yeah. I did like ninety eight percent of the game. Like I found most yeah. of the shit in that game because it was just just <laughs> oh, deeply wow. satisfying to do it. Um and. Uh, I could feel parts of those itches being scratched in in the third one. Um, you know, like these things, these specifically have these things called challenge tombs that are like puzzles and platforming things that it's like you have to, you know, try and conveniently like look away from, you know, like the, the problematic way it's like implemented and contextualized in the game. But like it, it runs up against like, yeah, but like I really love doing these fucking puzzles. Um, like <laughs> yep. the, this part of it is like designed really well. And I think parts of that are carried through in into the third one. Um, but then like, there's a really weird inconsistencies in you know and in, in dia touched this in her review where it's like you know it's like putting like a meaningful like steps forward for like acknowledgement and like trying to de- be more sort of like culturally aware and there's this one thing the game doesn't surface but if you i dug into the menus because i was messing with some of the sound settings and there's one called uh uh like um it's in like the vo settings it's like immersive Dialogue. dialogue is that what it is yeah natalie yeah. is in the room and is nodding yeah so i flipped it on because i was like oh like 
I, I, I love playing games in, like, the, the native language. Like, I think, hey, when Metro Exodus comes out, like, yo, like, you should play that with, like, you know, the Russian turned on. Like, it is it is so much more an enjoyable game to, to be in, uh, in that atmosphere. I think it really enhances the experience. And so I was like, oh, one, it's kind of weird that given all the other things they've been forward-facing saying we're taking this stuff really seriously, that seems like that should have been an option up front. Like, hey, like, want to turn on, like the native dialect of, like, the people you're going to encounter. I was like, cool. So I put that on by accident because I stumbled into it. But then this – like, Laura doesn't speak. She only speaks English. Like, she doesn't flip over to, like, speaking in the tongues of, of the people around her. Which, and so she's having conversations with people who, like, it's – I mean, it's – The you know, fiction again. of this world is – I just want to make – I haven't played this game. Uh-huh. I've read the – I've super smart. Dia's review. Huh? She's super smart. Like, this is like right. a, she's super a smart. She knows these well, languages. Right. Like, that's we know in that the she fiction knows, of the world. Because yeah. some of the languages are just like Spanish. They're like, right. she could have learned in This isn't in like her some life. ancient, like, you know, abandoned right. language. There'd be no the, way for her to know. Even though in this series, like, it is set up that, like, yeah, but she'd fucking know that one anyway. Right. But yeah. here's something that I don't understand is she goes to this city called Paititi. That's like the hub for this, for this game. It is uh, uh, a city that has not been touched by the West, right? Or until maybe recent... Recently, like an oil company came or something like that. Something like that, right? The West has touched this place. It is not completely untouched by the okay. outside world. But everybody there knows English super well, enough to talk to Lara? En- enough that, like, the back and forth, like, there's not even some sort of, like, igno- like if at least the game did some sort of acknowledgement that, like... Not that I want a lot of, like, brown people NPCs being like, I don't understand what what she's saying. But also, I do kind of want a bunch of NPCs being like, I don't know what this white woman is even fucking talking about right now. That would actually be dope. It's it's not immersive. I'm actually going to flip it off because it actually is completely weird – bizarre it seems off-putting like it to watch calls her attention yes because it's, it's not natural that. at fucking all like <laughs> it, on one hand i'm getting like this like you know i can't judge the vo i don't know if it's any good but it, it sounds like interesting and, and more naturalistic to me and in a sense where like you had you know laura even if it was like stumbling through like uh, making some fucking attempt to like speak, <laughs> like even if like she was doing like the white person think of like I can only fit in some phrasing. Like if there was a like, hey, immersive means like she's going to. I, it's just it's it's driving me up a wall where I've had it on for forty five minutes. I'm gonna go back and turn it off because it it's not in, it's not enhancing my my experience of the game. I'd rather actually just listen to these people speak in English because that's just you know that's just easier to. I'm not gonna be frustrated every thirty seconds when I hear this person sounding right. you know completely naturalistic Spanish and then just like Laura stumbling through. It's just, it's fucking weird and fits the, it is, to a T, uh, fits the sort of like, you know, tried to take a step forward but was unwilling to do the full right. commitment, which is basically, you know, you know Dia's argument in review, and my guess is, based on what I've seen so far, I'd probably largely end up agreeing with, is, okay, if you're going to do this, you if you're going to... Mm. Okay, so when we saw that, when we did our e- uh-huh. conversation about this, Austin, where we thought, man, this could be interesting. Where this, the side character, um, whose, whose name I'm blanking on, but Jacob? Been th- uh, yeah, who has been with, you Jonah. know, been in this. Hi, the, the, Jonah. Or, Jonah. Jonah. Hi, Natalie. Jacob. Jonah Jacob. Jacob is a J- character. Jonah Jacobson. Jacob. <laughs> Jacob's a character from the second game who has some wild who is, ass powers. Who is. Yeah. Not gonna Maybe not spoilers. Oh, I remember Jacob. He's okay. a werewolf, right? Right, Rob. Yep. Exactly. Also, hi, Natalie. Natalie, hi, I'm Natalie here. was. I've so been listening into this. Just like, quivering. In, 
just just in like drift so drift compatible with Patrick right now, so synced up with the frustration that she she's like, you got to turn on my microphone. I got to get I got to jump so, in. So so okay. So when we had our E three conversation, one of the things that we thought maybe gave some credence to like, oh, they're going to like take this seriously in submission was that yeah. is that sequence where where Laura gets yelled at like she's been yeah. told like you are not the star of this like maybe this fucking you know j- tsunami just happened and it's not right, because, because you picked up a goddamn if, dagger and then imagine if someone in your life was like this hurricane happened because of me like motherfucker it is not all about you yeah. chill right right and so uh and the thing that he says is that what we're going to do is not you know, go uh, go off on a plane and go on to the next the next tomb that you're gonna go uh, check out. We're actually gonna stay here. We're gonna help these people and we're gonna like clean help clean up this mess. And I thought, oh, when this demo cut to black, like what's gonna happen in the game is like I'm going to spend like an hour here with these people. Like I'm going to like participate <laughs> in the cleaning up of that mess. Like this game is going to show. In uh, normally these these adventures where you tr- trigger something uh, cataclysmic, like it just cuts to the next scene, but you don't see the devastation. This game is going to answer that. It's like, oh yes, like something awful happened, and you're not just going to hear about staying. Like you're going to stay here and like meet these people for like before you go off. And maybe it's still a Deus Ex Machina that like gets you to go off to the next thing, but you're going to revel in this consequence for a little while. And instead, it's just cut to black. Boom, we're on a plane, <laughs> and like all, like I'm just like, it's it was so frustrating because it's it's not even the, the game wants to eat its cake and eat its too it wants to get credit for raising a question that it's it doesn't seem interested in even answering right. um and that is even that's more frustrating than just had they said fuck it we're just making a swashbuckling like indiana jones style thing again and we're just going to ignore the problematic elements and just lean into what we've done before it, it's more frustrating you're like hey we're gonna try but not like not at oh. not actually, mm. but not Natalie. really. But clap for me. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, for me, when just speaking to the immersion thing, like that was definitely something that had me turn off the game very quickly after starting. Uh, because that was the first. I, I mean, the first thing I do whenever I start up a game is go through accessibility settings, go through uh, voice settings. Because I always like to put subtitles on because I miss a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Um. So I turned on the immersion thing and hearing Lara, you know, speak. Because uh, she's understanding them, right? Because they're right. having there's entire conversations happen, happening between Lara and like a Spanish speaker, <laughs> and no pause, and this, not not like hmm, she's thinking about what they said. It's just like boom, boom, no, boom, no, boom, she boom, she boom. she fully understands what they're saying, and I know Lara took fucking Spanish 101. <laughs> like I know she knows this stuff, but for me, it wouldn't be something. I mean, I I, I intend to keep playing the game, but for me. It's more important to have the voices of those Spanish speakers in the game rather than like my own disruption of the immersion because having just the fact that I can hear Spanish being right. spoken in a game is so significant and at least I can like ignore Lara for a second and just imagine <laughs> that they're speaking to me. Yes. Um and and that's that's meaningful to me. So for me I wouldn't jump to turning it off because I think that that entire thing is very meaningful and significant that it's even happening um even though Lara is responding in English um that is just I mean it's just so silly when you see her like walking through crowds and she's like excuse me like you can't say like con permiso you can't just like walk through and say anything like I don't know. It's if, any, very... if anything, it just ends up underscoring like this, like larger criticism of like this shitty white girl, like but just it's, like it, going. It, like... 
it emphasizes that this is Lara's world. Is right. really what it is. It well, emphasizes it, it emphasizes that this is Lara's world. Right, right, right. That like everything. It's like Lara centrism. I don't know. Like right. Lara, everything. Lara. Yeah. It's just yeah. it revolves like the around exactly. Lara she is, is the son. sun. She is world. the sun. Exactly. Because everyone can also understand her. Right. Um, which is like what you were talking about earlier, Austin. Is like why you know. I'm not. Which I want to be clear. I'm not saying that. Like, that why would these people, people understand in, English? Right. Right. I'm not saying that there like, aren't people in Mexico who understand English. Of course, there are lots of people all around the world who understand English. Exactly. But, it, but, but have been made that. But the reason they understand English is because like America and the West made you understand English if you want to operate in the fucking world. Exactly. And thanks it's globalization. Not your, right. And it's not your native tongue. And, exactly. Like, it would be dope to actually have some of it be like. Because there is stuff with language in this game. Yeah, right? like there put are... a put put a trans like I don't know. One, yeah. I, she has so many. From what I understand, is that she gains you know a lot of companions that are some of these Spanish speakers from these communities. Use them as a translator, even if just yeah. If she for, had someone walk around with her. That would have been something. Yeah, if if you're going to stick to the point that Lara, you know, isn't going to speak Spanish. Um, then use a translator. What would you do if you were in this place and right. you didn't speak? And also, let her speak Spanish. Like, just, and just record just some of those lines in Spanish. Have her speak Spanish. Some some English, you know, accented Spanish. I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's fine. That well, they, um, kind of they seem to do so. Like one of the things that Dia, you know, liked about the game was a, a lot of the commitment to like showing like lots of these native people and like in in many ways being respectful of. Of, of their culture and like certain parts of it, right? Like there, she has large critique, but like, so it's, it's that way There's of There's definitely like, an attention to detail yes. in terms of portraying the uh, visuals, like the visual spaces of where these people live and, right. and what these people actually look like. I mean, they look, you know, it's not just, uh, it is very like a Mayan indigenous, I'm, my, I'm half Guatemalan and have family members who, um, are of indigenous descent. I don't claim any indigeneity, but um, there is like a certain like physical characteristic that is very characteristically Mayan, and seeing that is like amazing. Like right. I love to see that, um, and seeing you know uh, the depictions of of you know the Dia de los Muertos in in the first town that you land in, and you know seeing the ofrendas and all the things like that. Like that is really really cool. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. Right. Well, like, it feels like this whole game is such a tension between the gameplay design, which wants to be a straightforward AAA like stealth action game, yeah, where you're getting collectibles and you're going through a progression tree and you are you're going into play places and coming out with new things, right? That is such a trope of what this type of game is mm -hmm. across the Uncharted games, across, like, the Assassin's Creed games. Mm -hmm. across, it's a genre thing of, like, I'm going to get better at this game mm -hmm. as I continue through the game. Like, mm -hmm. that is that is part of what the progression arc looks like. And I'm not saying that that progression arc is intrinsically... Actually, a, a long time ago, a, 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 another game critic, um, Stephen Byrne, wrote this, this criticism about the leveling up – how leveling up systems are intrinsically caught up in a sort of capitalistic understanding of mm -hmm. progression, which I, I don't think is – I don't think it holds exactly because I can conceive of – because communism and socialism are anti-capitalist and are fundamentally about making a world in which you can improve yourself more mm -hmm. easily, in which mm -hmm. you can actually pursue your, your dreams and – And your, skill is not necessarily one hundred percent money. Yeah. Exactly, 100 percent. Skill acquisition is an inherent sort of human totally. trait but that is not it, necessarily – yeah. 
Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, 100%. But in a game like this, what what ends up happening is that you end up seeing that the the confines of the design end up coming into direct conflict with or, or, or kind of trapping the story that wants to be in this other shape, right? Like it's it's stories aren't water. You can't just pour them into whatever <laughs> vessel you want and expect yeah. them to maintain their form. Especially if you're act like you are physically acting out that story. Like you have to be the water. Right. Right. So you can't I mean you can't just Move. I don't know. You right. can't just move wherever you want. Totally. Like the, it, there is a design I, to it. And my suspicion is that the writing team on this game and the art team in this game, and the design team on this game, all had slightly different objectives. And that, like, if if left, if any other person was in charge inside of that team, I bet we would see a slightly different game. Or if their goals were different, like, there's definitely a, a story to be told as to how the game came out like this in this kind of yeah, way I'm that really feels like. A compromise, you know, across a, a bunch of different lines. It's a third one, right? Like, yes, this be, and it's this not would, the this them team. starting another series. You know, I mean, it's just like you can see how things get muddled pretty quickly yep. on on something like this. Um, yeah, I, yeah. So. Uh, if you want more conversation about Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Shadow, 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 Shadow. Of the, uh, Rob, you had a great conversation with Dia. Um, do you want to really quickly just like give some other big, big time conversation points that you had in that conversation for people to go listen to? Uh, well, I mean, one important beat, like to what Natalie was talking about, is even that form of representation, like seeing the Dia de los Muertos, uh, like celebration in that town. Even that, like Dia had a very good insight, which is that compared to like an Assassin's Creed game or uh, you know a game like The Witcher, where like there's this idea of people going about the routine and there's a sense of like life and community that is independent of the player. Right. Dia was like, actually the way this stuff is represented and portrayed, it's still very consumptive in its relationship to you, the player. Like mm. it's a diorama is what you're going through in that yeah. town. Dia de los Muertos. Totally, like totally. nobody moves from their station. They all hold, they just, they sit there in front of the ofrendas and they don't move. You're, you're there to look at them and move on. And you can interact with them, and they have no like hint of inner life or other routines they follow. That's right. just what they're there to do. Because in this game's telling, it's sort of the, as, as Dia put it, sort of the National Geographic lens, but in game form. In this game's telling, game's telling. Well, this is what this is what Mexican people do, <laughs> and right. like, right. and so even that, like, even that form of representation, like, it was. It, it struck me, and I had a warmer reaction to it, but talking to Dia about it, like, sort of changed my perspective on it. For me, the big question, and, like, this is why Dia and I ended up talking for, like, an hour, uh, is that I could never work out whether the game knows how off Lara is. Like, right. from the first, her inability to relate or empathize to any of the people around her is like striking like the the beat you guys talked about where um where jonah's like not everything's about you Lara. we're gonna sit here and we're gonna help these people the next shot is of them flying off to the next tomb they're right. going to raid and it's from Lara's point of view jonah's not talking to her and she's trying to like he's he's still pissed at her and like distressed by what they've just gone through and what he's just seen and the whole tension of that scene isn't like Lara coming to terms with her responsibility. The tension is Lara just wanting this guy to talk to her again. Like, so things can right. go back to normal. But we didn't see the fight, right? We didn't see whatever happened to make her convince him to get on the plane. 
Yeah. I think there's a version of this game that's more honest, maybe, that yeah. is like, he says, it's not all about you. We're going to stay here and clean clean this up. And Laura's like, nah, no, we got to go. We actually have to go. You're wrong about this. Yeah. But like, if you're not going to show her be that person and all you're going to get is her swooping in to save the day, like in the new place, then yeah. you're you're retreating from actually confronting some of the, the topics that Jonah is trying to set up with that with that dialogue, right? She doesn't listen. It's striking. She does not listen to people. Jonah Jonah's like, we need to help people here. We like, there's people here we can help, and her response is to just keep repeating, "This is my fault, but not really. We have to go stop Dominguez and his crew." <laughs> I can fix this. That is her entire chain of thought. This, like, show of responsibility, and then, like, but we need to do what I say, and these other people are the bad ones. I just want to believe in my heart of hearts that there's a meta reading here where a writer is, like, basically in the perspective of Jonah, and, like, a game director or or an exec or somebody in a suit who makes the big business decisions is the Lara who's like, you got a point, but I don't care. We're doing this instead. Jump on this plane. Yep. 100%. 100 God. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, sometimes I've said this before, but, like, being in the margins means kind of finding it where you can get it in terms of representation, in terms of uh, people making art that does conceive of your perspective to begin with. Um, And I would just wish we saw a little bit more of it. Someone on Twitter asked me, um, I want to be clear, like they were being very polite in this. They were like, well, what are games that don't put the player at the center? Which I think is is a... is a very understandable gut reaction to the sort of criticism that's levied at Shadow of the Tomb Raider. You go, well, wait, don't all games put the player at the center? And I think that that is partially comes from an ongoing conversation we've all had about the um, the move towards or the the long history of focus on uh, power fantasy. But it's it's such um, a an all-encompassing criticism to be like, well, games always put the player at the center that it elides a lot of nuance that is important and distinct. So like even inside of action games, there is a range of, of you know, we tried out the Far Cry 2 versus Far Cry 5 example all day and say that Far Cry 2 is much less concerned with uh, making the player feel good than Far Cry 5 is. But even in a broad, once you take games much more broadly than that, you start looking at things like the Abe's Odyssey games in which the the Mudicans, who are like the alien or like the, the character that Abe is in those games, their physical attributes are specifically made to be oppressed and so like moving through the spaces where like the big strong tough dudes with guns are supposed to be moved through is a fucking hassle. And yes, you are given the abilities to, to work through that, but there's something being said about the fact that to succeed in that world means to take control of the bodies of the people who's built the world in their image. Um, or looking at something else, like you look at something like Crusader Kings 2 in which the player is just one of 10,000 actors in a system that are all acting in accordance to the rules of the system. That game has it's, – it's player-centric in that there's an interface for you to interact with, but it isn't player-centric in that in that same way. And so I, it's one of the ways that I, I, I hope – and also they're not all power fantasies are the same. Cameron Kunzelman wrote that great piece for us during our gun week earlier this year about needing more types of power fantasy. You know, he, he really wants there to be what is the Black Panther of video games, right? Mm-hmm. That, that examines – you know, very literally Black Panther is not a, a, a movie with a lot of guns uh, in the hands of heroes. Um, and so they have to find other solutions. And sometimes it just means punch. Right. I'm not like no doubt. But there is something different happening there than just pointing a a gun and pulling a trigger and having the world change to be more like what you want it to be. Um, And so I think it's important in a situation like this when we start with 
the game is a is, is so focused on Lara Croft that it can't actually give you the re- representation of the world that even the people on the writing team seem to want to, to deliver. That we the next step shouldn't just be, and that's just because it's a video game. It should be. How can we imagine a better world? How can we imagine a game that that actually does this differently? We already have this po- uh, potential solutions. We talked ten minutes ago, fifteen minutes ago, about how great it was to have perspective characters in uh, in Spider Man. Like, imagine a version of Shadow of the Tomb Raider that occasionally puts you in Jonah's position, yeah. or puts you in the maybe not even occasionally. Oh, or, like, or, or, or if she if she left. And yeah, then, and then you stay as and then Jonah, he, and he says, "Fuck it, I'm just I'm staying here." And then it's like contrasting up. between like you going off on these like like it'd be an interesting way that the game could even allow you to still have like the weirdly problematic elements like the challenge tombs because like you're doing this, and then it's cutting to Jonah doing like mundane like moving stones, getting food for people. Um, <laughs> there there are there are ways that yes, they could have taken things like the, the Spider Man does and. And, and done some really fascinating contrast that in some ways maybe like would make you feel guilty about some of like the mechanically like in design stuff that and you're I don't enjoying think that is from a, this game. A hand washing thing. Yeah, but. I don't think it's that I think for me it's put Jonah in a decision making position. Mm. Like when you when you sh- when you do that perspective shift give a, a significant meaningful decision for him to make that will impact the story. Like let him make a decision. Right. For like for everyone, that's not just you know. Oh, we're gonna go see what it's you know like to be Jonah and what it's like to play you know the big bulky you know whatever that thing is like if it's you know whatever it's so trope easy to that fulfills. Bad, right? Yeah, so I, easy, the easy bad version of that is you play like a you know strong man who like gets to he moves crates he moves he moves oh, crates God. and things like that. Right. No, Crate give puzzles. you know yeah. give decisions about how to interact with this community and and rebuild or whatever. Give decisions for the actual mission that right. he's like embarking on with Lara. I think that just transporting into the perspective is so transient and it's it there's not a lot of I mean although there it, it is a step towards like a right. more meaningful thing. I think it, it gets lost in the main storyline. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like we could we get to a place where I, it's there's a point at which even that feels like eating having his cake and eating it too probably. But I still think that there is a way in which we should. But that you can disrupt Lara, right? That's what that's I'm the looking real thing. For. That would be yeah. actually really fast. Yeah, if you could, if that decision, I'm not saying make a decision. Do we go here or here? Yeah, I'm saying, right. yeah, I'm saying, where are we dropping? That's uh, it. Where are we dropping, Laura? <laughs> Everybody, get out. We'll talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Battle Royale, and just after the break, we'll be right back with that. Listen, <laughs> but for now, we're just talking about Tomb Raider. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I got um, excited. I, mean, um, I guess they, it doesn't seem like they would ever have the courage, or who knows? Maybe I don't know. They might they have the courage, do. but the I don't know that the shareholders do. Well, you know the, what I, I, mean? I guess what I'm saying, like Lara we, in the suit said, no. Like we, we, you know, we have a game that, like, you know, uh, has a reading in which it's like in some way saying, like, she's shitty, but it's not, that's a reading, it shouldn't be a reading, that should just be explicit. The text. That, yeah. that, that shouldn't be like, oh, you could look at this and be like, wow, you look at this and you could just take away, they're like, she's a bad person. When it should be that the game is 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 overtly showing you that she's a bad, it is saying she is a bad person, as opposed to, like, having to read a critical analysis that would explain to you why she's a bad person. And, yeah, but... but I, that's, like, that's a much more difficult proposition to, to pull off, especially in um, a third one. And yes, as Austin mentioned, I don't I don't know if they would let them commercially even do yeah. a game like that. 
But we play shitty people in games all the time. Like, that's that's nothing. Playing shitty and then saying, like, the person you're playing is a bad person, those are different things, I think. Like, the GTA characters are mass murderers and are... But they're glorified. But, like, yeah, they're not an attack on the institution and ideology of... Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think the characters in GTA often are an attack on American ideology, but not yeah. one that actually has any weight mm-hmm. because uh, the degree of... Or nuance, or like any lasting power. I don't think anyone leaves a GTA leaves GTA Five and goes like, "Man, we should really change the way America works." Yeah, like they, sex workers need more protection. Like well, no yeah, one's certainly walking. not that yeah. in GTA Five or any GTA game, or yeah. even like that torture scene from GTA Five. Fuck, that scene's so fucking yeah. ridiculous. Yep. Rob, you have you no. You are I was I was just thinking like, yeah. I think the problem this one of the problems this game has is like. This isn't even necessarily like woke Lara. It is not all white people, Lara. Right. And yeah. like I think that is the perspective it's coming from. Like it wants to it wants to indict certain structures and systems and legacies. But it doesn't want to indict anyone now for for, right. for that status quo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Lara like it, it wants like Lara's hands to remain clean like relatively clean. In terms of the Just situation the she finds, uh, <laughs> but it, like anything, anything she's done, it's because she just didn't know. And like now that she's been made aware of an issue, of course she will engage constructively with it and help. Right. And help in this case also means take charge and then dictate how the situation is going to be resolved right. to everyone's satisfaction. Convince those who are who are rightly in charge that they should listen to you, actually, the outsider who knows about Trinity and knows about the situation. I've dealt with them before. You know. Yeah. I have the expertise. And and so I think that's kind of the, the real like it is always eye opening to see when the conversation shifts to, man, we need to destroy systems of uh, colonial oppression and white supremacy, the sheer number of people who you would not expect to immediately feel indicted by statements like that that are pretty milquetoast, yeah. who suddenly are like, well, wait, what What do you mean? I'm we not, should, I'm we not should ref- implicated We should reform that. them, Rob. We can fix them from the inside. We don't have to destroy anything. If you destroy <laughs> something, you have to start building from scratch again, and that just takes way longer – we should all just reform the world slowly and calmly. It'll be fine. Um, which, which I mean, I guess is the meta question about Tomb Raider, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Is and this is the question that Dia asks in, at the end of the piece is like, you know, and I think it's back to the conversation we're having now around around Tomb Raider is like, why if your goal is to write a game, if your goal is to make if you say the way I want to make Tomb Raider is to make an indictment of raiding tombs and to make it so that we get when we leave this game that raiding tombs is shitty actually. Why are you making Tomb Raider? I mean the answer is because you're employed and you have health coverage and you have a family and like I get all – and someone from above said, oh, yeah, we got the next Tomb Raider game. You know, uh, Crystal Dynamics is off making something else. We're going to make the new one. And I get that like it is because of the state of precarity that we all live in in 2018. It is hard to be like, oh, I'm actually going to quit my job lose my benefits and go find something else. I 100% understand that. But at the same time, there is something disingenuous about going into that project being like, okay, 
and actually we're going to make the game about how Lara is wrong. And I think that that, that disconnect of like, how are you going to commit three years of your life developing this game about how this game is bad? Mm. <laughs> You're gonna, there's going to be issues there. They're going to be those pressures are going to like peak. They're going to hit each other and peak as mountains. And you're going to that all of the inconsistencies around the immersive dialogue stuff, uh, around the way that Lara's worst actions aren't being shown on screen. Like that stuff ends up being the result of a, a kind of a, a, an incongruity between the goals of wanting to critique the thing and the desire to make one of these that is fun. Yeah, and I mean... You probably can't even do that in a Tomb Raider game, right? That has to be, like, come from the outside. Probably. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I think there, I think there is room to... I don't know. Because, like, I, at what point is this... We go back to, like, the episode y'all did that was really great on, re, on like, redemption. And, and re, yeah, yeah, abuse. Right? Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot throughout this conversation. But for... I think that it's... Lara's never the one being punished for her actions. There's nothing you are never like at a set you 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 never have like a you never taken a step back and you're like, okay, uh, you know, now I have this obstacle. Like it's never really that tangible because mm. it's always it is Lara's playground, it is Lara's world, she's always going to be able it is her fantasy at that. So she's always going to – there's always going to be a happy ending. There's always going to be a way for her to navigate to the, to the finish line, right. whatever that finish line is. And although, I, I mean, I haven't finished the game, I, I'm interested to see what that ending sequence looks like, and I don't know what it is yet. Um, my guess is it's not, you know, Lara – you are being stripped of, you know, your Tomb Raider status or whatever. It's the just, it's Tomb not Raider the Council. Tomb Raider Council. Yeah. That's Tomb exactly Raider right. House. Tomb Raider her House mansion. Tomb Raider. Right. Her we mansion becomes a school to teach programming. Uh, oh. That's what it is. Oh, boy. I, Rob, I understand that your conversation with Dia does get into some spoiler territory. So if people do want to hear some of that stuff, they can go listen to that. Dia um, went full spoiler right from the start. I was like, yeah. we need to hold these for the back. Okay, and we hit the great. first point of discussion. I was like, let's talk about Dominguez. And she pauses uh-huh. for a second and she's like, okay, so basically right at the end. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to roll with this. Okay. Let's just. Uh, so go check that out. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and we will be right back to talk about some other stuff, some Valkyria Chronicles and some uh, uh, blackout mode, some Call of Duty blackout. Some Call of Duty. Which is the new uh, Battle Royale mode. Uh, We'll take a quick break. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. How do y'all feel about anime? (laughs) I I like anime. (laughs) Oh, hold on. So uh, last night... um, uh oh! Uh oh! It's a good start I, to any story. Oh! Uh, if, you, if you saw, if you hit me up on my IG, uh, you, and also was on Twitter, uh, catch Patrick on the gram. You know, you catch me on the gram. Uh, it's the best place, honestly. The best. Uh, place I be. left. Uh, you know, I was uh, not home this weekend, um, but uh, the rest of my family, my my wonderful wife and daughter, were. 
um, and I wanted to leave uh, a protector for them uh, behind. And so thankfully, the weekend before, when I was also gone, I was given yeah. a protector for my family, um, my sweet farm boy, Donald from Fire Emblem, um, in a pillow, a pillow-like form uh, was given to me. Um, and I, when I was packing to leave, I was like, I'm going to put this on the bed. I'm going to, it's a spread. It's just, it's not in its pillow form, but it can kind of lie along the pillows and the blanket. And it's here, you know, where I would normally be sleeping. Um, and now it's here. On your side of the bed? Yep. On my side of the bed, it replaced me. And, uh, I was okay with that. I was, I was fine with it. 2018. Um, And I, I, I forgot that I did, like I did, did the tweet. Did the IG and I forgot about it, thinking at some point, like, I'm going to get some sort of angry screed from my wife. Like, what the fuck, what the fuck did you leave <laughs> on this bed? Because I never showed her I got this. So she had no no idea that I got this <laughs> gift. It was just going to be something that she found. Um, and then, like, randomly right before she went to bed last night, as she was feeling good about the bears, she turns to me and she goes, I forgot to tell you about that fucking thing that you left on the bed. <laughs> Your daughter went in there and was rolling around with it and thought it was hilarious. I walked in and just saw what appeared to be a cartoon stranger on my bed. Oh, <laughs> she's like, my "You're lucky God. I didn't. You're lucky I didn't burn that thing." And I said, like, "I was like, honey, that actually would have been hilarious if your response to it was to publicly burn it and then send me photos of it." But she didn't, oh. and instead she folded it up very nicely and then put it underneath um, my bed stand. So there you that's go. Where, that's where Donald he is lives. now. Shout yeah. out to uh, uh, Waypoint fan Caitlin for sending that in to Patrick. I, she sent it here and because it's the easiest way to get stuff to Patrick. It was right before PAX, and so I packed it into my stuff. <laughs> I brought it out to, to, to Seattle, and I'd forgotten about it for a whole day, and I was like going through my luggage, and I <laughs> found it there. And I want to be clear. I had no idea what it was. I could, could kind of tell it was – a body pillow case based on like the f- texture and like the, okay. the color. <laughs> you could. All right. You just, well. you just feel that uh, there's a body pillow case. Listen, I, I, you know, catch me mm, at Otacon 2005. I, I think like, I know what this is. I, I grew up in anime. I'm from anime. <laughs> okay, you're from you anime. Know? He slept with anime. Uh, anime. Anime only adopted you. Like, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a body pillow, but I could not tell of what because it was all folded. So I, I delivered it to Patrick, and we discovered enjoy together. I, I, if I could just live in the one second between me recognizing what it was and Patrick recognizing what it was forever, <laughs> I would do that. Just looping. And that's what heaven is like that to me. It like was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. The recognition come. Oh, mwah, perfect. <laughs> so good. Uh, I'm talking about a different type of anime tactics, though, still. Um, anime tactics? Anime tactics. Not Fire Emblem this time, but Valkyria Chronicles 4 uh, comes out in a couple of weeks, but the review embargo was today. We don't have a review up because I am 28 hours into that game and only in chapter 11 of 18. So it's sizable. Uh, ah, it's Japanese. It's a Japanese <laughs> tactical <laughs> RPG. Um, but if you've played these games, uh, if you played the first game, which is the one that came out here on a major console. Um, it's then, coming out on Switch in uh, October. No. So, yeah, yeah. The first game is coming out the on first Switch game, in October. Yeah, yeah okay. the, the Valkyria Chronicles 4 is hitting Switch in two weeks, on like the 24th, I want to say. Oh, uh, wow. It's hitting Switch. It's hitting PS4. It's hitting Xbox One and I think PC. It's everywhere. Um, it is a sequel to that first game. So the first game, uh, like this one, both of them are 
tactical RPGs in which instead of just moving people around on tiles, it kind of puts you in a third-person action-style um, mode with them where you're running them around and they kind of have a bar of stamina that depletes as you move them around. Um, and so you kind of like run them up to some sandbags and kneel and like take a take aim. Because it's in this kind of fictionalized anime version of World War II. Um, instead of taking place in Europe, it takes place in Europa. You know, instead of okay. uh, instead New of York. New York, yeah. New York, yeah, it's basically that. It's basically New York, but <laughs> Europe. Good. Um, and uh, in in both of these games, in both one and in four, you actually play people who join into the conflict. Um, they are originally in kind of a neutral territory. This place is called Gallia, which is like their stand-in for Holland. I get Holland, right? It's weird. Windmills. In their version, okay. they're like Holland turns into like a serious military power. It's, it's so hilarious. weird. <laughs> it's like it's very hilarious. Like Germany, Russia invades. And like, right, right. It's one, also they they combine Germany yeah. and Russia into one. And the Dutch are basically like, well, this was not going to happen. This is we, <laughs> this is we're not letting we this go down on this. our watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got a tank. Uh, you got to draw a line somewhere. You know, that's what Picard taught me. Uh, and so yeah, you have a tank, and it's a game. It's a it's a World War II style um, anime military tactics game in which you have a group of different characters. Uh, there's like, you know, you have a ton of characters who all have these traits. So they all have classes. So maybe you have like a shock trooper who has like a you know, machine gun or like a submachine gun who can do lots of damage up close. And you have scouts who can see really far and who can shoot really far, but they don't shoot a lot of bullets. You have snipers. You have like heavy lancers who are like they use bazookas, but their bazookas just look like European medieval lances, which is Incredible. dope. Um, and now there's grenadiers who have mortars uh, who let you do indirect fire and they're incredible. Um and on top of that, each character, it's not like XCOM or it's randomly rolled characters. Uh, and it's not like Fire Emblem um, where – I guess it's more like Fire Emblem. Um, but in Fire Emblem, the most of the traits tend to just be about like what your stat line is. Mm-hmm. And what makes Valkyria Chronicle so special is that characters end up having – uh, these kind of four potentials that are about who they are as a person, um, uh, and then they can gain more depending on how the story, depending on some story events, and depending on how you upgrade the class. Um, so, for instance, maybe you have a character who um, loves nature. They have the nature lover trait. And so if you're fighting in the wilderness, like and they're running through a field of, of flowers, that you get like the anime cut in, their face comes across the screen. It says, you know, nature lover, and they get an accuracy up or a damage up or something, right? Um, That's extremely good. It is very good. It actually does get cool to the point of like – because you'll have different – it's not just different biomes. You'll have like right. city – like city slicker. And like, oh, there's a paved sidewalk going through this forest. If you right. end your turn on that paved sidewalk, your like bog standard soldier turns into the fucking Terminator. Yeah, it's, it's super rad. <laughs> it's, it's like, like, okay, I'm going to have to find this stuff. It's goofy. It's super goofy. And the opposite thing can happen too where it's like this person hates the dust of cities. And it's so like, well, I deployed this fucking scout who's like this country bumpkin in the middle of this raid in the in the imperial capital. And now he's just fucked because he's just miserable because he's around uh-huh. dust and smoke all day. It's very good. All that stuff is, is, is still there. So like, Rob, you played that first game. It's that. Again, uh, did they keep the school anime aspect? Of no, it? so that Fuck. so so well. So <laughs> Valkyria, okay. this, it's such a weird arc. Valkyria Chronicles One is like a bunch of young people from anime Holland who go off to war because their hometown is attacked. Uh, Valkyria Chronicles Two is literally it's on the PSP only, and that was literally a high school anime. 
where like you're in military school and also training to go to war, and then you go to war, but you're all just literally high school students. Is there romance? Maybe I would um, like that. You is think you would like that a lot? You can still play it on Vita <laughs> if you have a Vita. Mm. Uh, three oh. is just straight up, and three never was localized, and it breaks my fucking heart because it's just the Dirty Dozen. It's a it's a group of criminals who are who are put in an elite covert ops unit that needs to sneak behind enemy lines and is like disavowed, but like you have to fight for your freedom. Uh, and this one is. In some ways, the most interesting because it's the most straightforward. You are again from Anime Holland and you join the Allies and uh, your hometown was attacked to the to the degree that you've named your tank after it. The name of your, your hometown is Hoffen and the name of your tank is Hoffen. Um, and, uh, you know, at the beginning of the game, the setup is just you're part of the big – push. You're part of the big operation. You're kind of part of like the market garden of this war where the goal is to do this huge push quickly into the empire, into the heart of it and cut it off. And like the the um, the motto of this of this operation is like home before winter or peace before winter. Right. Always a and good sign. See, always a good sign to go <laughs> east into the, the Russian territory and believe that you're going to win before winter hits. Yo, they don't win before winter hits. Um, the, the first, like, seven missions are just being part of the the Alliance military operation. And it actually does something that past games haven't done super well, which is it makes you in, – in Valkyria Chronicles 1, um, you never really feel like you're part of a larger war effort. You're always part of these little skirmishes, and they're important. You you know you take over a bridge so that supplies can get past or whatever. Um, you you know you you maybe you deal damage to a mining operation and you free a bunch of s- slaves. This game this game has some this game has lots of weirdness. This is absolutely a Japanese game uh, that has a very specific way of handling the actual dark events of World War II. So, for instance. Um, there is still an ethnic minority in this game and they're called the Darksin and they have like kind of like blue-black hair and are, you know, considered by a lot of people in Europa to be like – to have been historically their their oppressors and they blame them for all the downfall of Europe over the years and it's very much a Jewish analog. And in the first game, you absolutely rolled into like a labor camp and had to free a bunch of Darksin and it's like, OK, like they're, they're trying to tackle this stuff but it often will swing between like <laughs> – we freed a bunch of slaves to time for the anime beach episode. Wow. And it goes like back and forth but like that in this really rapid fire way that can be hard to deal with because when it goes dark, it feels dark. Um, and in this game, the, the the bulk of that darkness so far has been about the just the general cost of war. It's the first time that I felt like in one of these games, in the Valkyria games, that, that my unit is part of a big push. There's like a really great three – mission run in the the kind of end of the first act where you're going to like make the big push and break through the big defensive line and it's there's a mission there that's like one of my all-time favorite tactics missions now is the sense of of the scale of combat which is really fantastic um and then you of course the snowfalls and you get cut off and then the bulk of the game is kind of being behind enemy lines trying to figure out how you can get resupplied your morale falling apart Figuring out that there are some secret operations going on, betrayal, love, you know, anime shit, all the anime shit. Um, it's the it's the game that I think people who have been wanting a Valkyria Chronicles follow up uh, for decades or for like ten years now, eleven years, twelve years, um, are finally getting, um, and that is exciting. There is some stuff that I think is 
they don't deal with exactly super well. I think in general, there are lots of like rad women characters in this game, but it's lots of women who are defined by their relationships with dudes. Mm. Not everyone. I want to be clear. I think there's a lot who are not. But like if there is an anime trope with women that you are like about, it's probably in this game somewhere. There are like 50 recruitable characters, which means there's a lot of room for them to check boxes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I do think there are some incredible standout characters, and I'm pretty happy with Rosetta, who was a character who I mentioned a few episodes ago. Um, there is a character who is the – in this game, again, every character has traits, but they also have like a bio that gets filled out as you play with them. Um, and Rosetta is uh, – their their her bio is like um, – uses another na- – says like, oh, this character was born with another name. Uh, and presents as feminine. And it's like, okay, is this like a trans character? They never use those words. Mm -hmm. They never say this character is trans. But it's very clear in the playing that this is supposed to be a trans woman. Um, And not only that, like her arc is dope. Her like actual backstory is basically she was a nun. She was a trans nun whose partner – also I I don't know what religion is like in this world, but I guess she had a partner – whose partner was a Darkson rights activist who gets killed. Off screen, this isn't like a thing that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, she learns that like, oh, you can't beat fascists by talking, <laughs> and that, so she becomes like, just go ahead. I was just—is that like, are those flashbacks or are those just written so, bio that like, you get to read? It's a written bio you get to read, but it also comes up in dialogue. Like Fire okay. Emblem, characters can bond, yeah. but it's just preset groupings of characters. Mm-hmm. So it's like she is set to bond with this Darkson dude who is like a grave robber and a loner, and this. Uh, war orphan who is like all sunshine and happiness and so once you use them in some combination enough you unlock a side story with them Mm. about you know the world is terrible how do we move forward in it and I think it's a little saccharine I don't actually love their particular side story that much but she is fucking dope like character of the year they don't they don't stick the landing 100% but the fact that I can say I'm playing this game in which this ex-nun you know trans scout uh, is is like all about like literally the thing she says in combat is like you can't change the world with ideas alone like cocks her fucking gun let's kill some fascists uh, she doesn't say let's kill some fascists but she basically does uh, so I'm super here but for that but she actually does kill the fascists she absolutely so she doesn't even have does to say it. yes yeah. totally if you like the first Valkyria game I think this is going to be one that that continues to scratch that itch there's a bunch of other new stuff that I'll write about when I get around to writing the review um, after I dump probably another twenty hours into this thing we'll see um rob i'm curious what your take will be on it because i know you were someone who enjoyed that first game even though it's not a perfect game by any means no but i mean the art style went such a long way with that game like it's such a it is such a gorgeous and charming game actually the the big stumbling point for me was um legitimately i could not stand the way uh alicia was characterized as like literally like the sun rose and set with Welkin for her in that yes, game. A hundred percent. And the no matter how serious it was if things got, the Japanese voice direction at least, which was generally better across the board in that game, but her character was always really chirpy, particularly toward yeah. him. And so like again, bad shit could have just happened. And she's like <laughs> Welkin. I made she used to be a baker. Yeah, she used to be a baker. So she's like baguette. And it's like So like I'm gonna spoil one early game mission here, which is again that speaks, I think, to the fucking 
the total thing here of like you need I, you need to know what this is before you go into it. Otherwise, you'll be fur- infuriated. There is a moment where you have occupied an enemy city, and your crew, which includes this dude, Ra- this dude Raz, who is like a womanizer who absolutely is seen slapping an ass early on in the game. Like again, I'm not apologizing for Raz. Uh, he is like. Yeah, man, I can't wait to get into town. They're going to have the three things you you need. Booze, babes, and bacon. And it's like, all right, wow. what, what the fuck are you talking about? And then you're, there's another character named Kai who is like your team sniper and she is like, you know, cool and collected but still has a heart of gold. Like they're obviously going to pair up, I'm guessing. Uh, she's <laughs> like, what about bread? Bread's more important than all of those. And you go into town to buy bread, bacon, booze, and presumably meet some babes. Um, but it turns out Someone's already bought all the bacon and all the booze and all the bread, and it turns out it's a rival squad. It's another one of the squads. Made of babes? uh, Led by two babes. Led absolutely by a babe named Minerva and her second-in-command, Crystal, who is absolutely in love with her. Like, in the notes is like, it's, it's, they're going down again, a kind of problematic trope of, like, the obsessed like, uh, unrequited lesbian love. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that it's all the way unrequited. I like to eye ship them 100%. And Minerva's <laughs> okay. fucking incredible. She's a super high collar. Anyway, she rolled in and bought all the bacon and booze and bread. And so in the occupied town, you have a mock battle over who gets to keep the bacon and the booze and the bread. And I feel like that's not a thing you should do in a town you're occupying. I think that's what gets you fucking... Got like that's what makes you lose the the support of the locals, in my opinion. Um, and you know, a mission later, it's like I can't believe we're starving to death in the front lines. Oh like, my. yeah, motherfucker, save the bread. <laughs> like, you need that to eat. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh. I like it a lot. It is it is my problematic fave. Uh, it is it is a fun thing to play a tactics game that is vague in a way that's different than XCOM. We play a lot of XCOM, and so it's like a 95% hit chance it could be a 0% hit chance. Yeah. Um, here, in, there's no percentages. It's not like, yo, you have a 90% chance to hit. You have like an aiming reticle, and there's it's bigger than just your center point, and so shots can go anywhere inside of that reticle. Ah. So it's like kind of a soft amb- – there's like an ambiguity. It's not board game-like in any way. It's not trying to be that in any way. You know, you don't have uh, particular. There's no tiles of movement, and all of that kind of softness around it makes it feel like a different type of tactics game, and I, I like that quite a bit. Anyway, that is my my uh, my thoughts right now on Valkyria. Who knows? In a week, I could come back and be like, "There is something really bad at the very end of that game. I cannot recommend it anymore." Or I could say, "Hey, they really stuck the landing. Anime so. can go anywhere." You know what? That's what I always say. Anime, I can go anywhere. <laughs> Um, speaking of things that can go anywhere and, and ways that you can go anywhere, uh, <laughs> Call of Duty Blackout changes Call of Duty in some big weird ways. Extremely big and you weird. You can go anywhere, which is the opposite can, of what I think of as a Call of Duty multiplayer mode. You can really go any. You can go up and anywhere. You wow. actually can. There's helicopter. So, Call of Duty Black Ops Four. Bloppy is four. Bloppy's four. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the technical term. Yep. Uh, is coming out next month. Does anybody know off the top of their head when that releases? I, I should. Check. Patrick just shrugged <laughs> in the best possible way. Um, I believe it's next month. Uh, and it doesn't have some things, like a story mode, but it is going to have a Battle Royale mode. October 12th. October 12th. Wow. Like a month That's... and a day. Is that your yep. birthday? It's my brother's birthday. Okay. Shout outs to Natalie's brother. Happy happy birthday. And my grandma's. Wow. Same day. Wow. 
It's beautiful. Is your grandmother going to play some Black Ops to celebrate? Absolutely fucking not. Mm. No. Disagree. Well, maybe when she hears about the new Blackout mode. Yeah, let me tell... Grandma Marie, let me tell you about this new Blackout mode. Grandma Marie, do you want wall running? No! Um, Grandma Marie is a purist when it comes to Call of Duty. Yeah, she liked it the way it used to be. The good old days. Good old days. Um, Good old gamer. So they announced at the Call of Duty, like, experience, Black Ops event, whatever, the announcement for Black Ops 4, that there would be a Battle Royale mode called Blackout. It's the the Call of Duty version of the Battle Royale, the take on on Battle Royale. Uh, And it is an open beta today for people who pre-order, and I want to say maybe for people who have PS Plus or something. I think PS Plus is maybe tomorrow, or maybe that's today, and then tomorrow's open beta open beta on PC. Sure. Something um, like that. We spent the morning watching some other people playing it and dipping in a little bit with it also. Yes, Austin we, played. I played a little bit. We watched some people Not at bad. IGN. Not I did bad. All right. I got top 10. I got like number top, 8. Top 8. You yeah, got top eight. number 7, I think you were. Um, Kato, Natalie, you watched a bunch of that with me. You saw me playing it a little bit. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's the... Okay, so... Also, hi, Kato is here also. Hi, Kato is here now. Uh, the engagement range feels wrong for the space is what I got from most of it. Yeah. Right? Like, well, unless you're in a map, right? And so, like, for the people who don't know, the way this map is, it's, like, old Call of Duty maps. Yeah, that it's, like, Nuketown. Like, it's the estates. Or they just dropped them all and, like, connected them with, you know, forest Terrain, yeah. Hilly land. Yeah. And, like... If you're having an engagement within one of those spots, it feels right because those that's how that was designed for those guns and everything. It's fast and, in those yeah. spots. There's like a train yard where you can get into some like wild Call of Duty right. style, quick turning around, getting lost in the the level architecture, yeah. um, sneaking around on people stuff. Sliding. Yeah. Lots, of sliding. Lots of sliding. No wall running. Yes, sliding. <laughs> and But then if you have an engagement in these uh, in-between spaces, it feels off especially if you've played Pogo before like you had like a some sort of automatic rifle and yeah. you were taking shots at a guy and like in in player in those battlegrounds you would have had that person oh i hit him a bunch you hit yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like it felt like that distance was just wrong for the gun in this game yeah. but like they don't have there's like no in between there right right like there was no I got, like, gun, a pretty far there's no off... gun type that you had that would have been Good for well, that. We only get two guns. It's the right. other thing. Yeah. There's and no so side usually, arm. I mean, PUBG, you get three, right? Yeah, you have two pistol and then two real like, yeah. weapons. Yeah. yeah. So, like, and, and at least in Fortnite, you can. You carry, like, whatever um, you want. Gajillion yeah. guns. Yeah. Um, but you always have, you know, your close range, your mid range, your far range. Yeah. Like, you, how, whatever type of player you are, that's pretty typical across the yeah. board. And the fact that you only have two guns, and I felt like. Like we don't know what these guns are yet. Yeah, I've, That's I've another not big played thing. the yeah. Black Ops games in a fucking forever time, and so it's like, oh, a G seven seven showed up. Like I don't know what that is. I haven't been up on this stuff at yeah. all. Um, it's something you'll learn with time, obviously. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and those weapons. All see, there was like some cool stuff in there. I think that's one of the the strangest things with watching people play this, and and with playing it myself is just like, oh right, this is a triple A game. So right. one, it looks pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. It runs really well. Mm-hmm. On, we were playing on a PS4 Pro. Um, two, it is filled with stuff like triple A has a commitment to excess that something like Battle the Player Unknowns team does right. not, and so you end up with a situation where it's like. 
we found like a you, there's perks in this game. Yeah, and the perks, the perks are cool. Are things like uh, let you take less damage from the wall if you're outside of the wall, or yeah. um, or uh, an audio cue when someone has their sight on you. Right, exactly. Is, like and, all those things are really which rad. are interesting and they're consumable. Or like it has like. It, it's a little bit more like Fortnite in that it's willing to get a little goofier. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a grappling hook pickup you can get. There are cluster bombs. There's a system that, like, counters nearby explosives. Yeah. Um, there are helicopters in this game. That you can drive. That you can fly around, which seems so counterintuitive to the Battle Royale genre. Um, but it's really cool because it ends up just feeling like there's lots of toys to play with. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and... That is sometimes what I want in a multiplayer, especially in right. a multiplayer game. Yeah. Um, it makes me super curious to see what the Battlefield version of the Battle Royale is, too, because that's a series that I more closely associate with that feeling of being in a toy box, in a sandbox. Totally. Um, but I really enjoyed it so far. Yeah. It was just so, f- like, uh, you said this before, but it was just so fast. I don't think I could, like, your your uh, heels and right. your... Uh, can are, you can heal at the same time? It's yeah, wild. you can move and heal at the same time. Whoa. You can move and revive at the same time. And it heals There's fast. There's a perk that allows you to... One of the perks allows you to move that you picked up today to move and... Reload. Shoot. Yeah, you'd sprint. sprint. You like, yeah. Not just run, but sprint, sprint and, and shoot, shoot or heal at the or same heal. time. It's such a fast thing, and it, it's a, a reminder for me of just like how fertile the battle royale genre is for people to keep iterating. I mm-hmm. think in my mind, it had felt like... PUBG did pretty well, and then Fortnite figured it out, and, like, good luck moving in on Fortnite. I still kind of feel like good luck. No one's going to do Fortnite numbers. I don't think this game is going to do Fortnite numbers. I don't think Battlefields is. You know, maybe four years from now we see something that that pivots in some new way or, uh, you know, there's a new evolution. Excuse me. Uh, There's a new evolution. But I didn't – I think I underestimated how interested I would be in just other versions of this basic game mode. Right. Um, Because it's – it's cool to figure out what the new sets of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the new sets of like uh, gear and, and interactive stuff it's like is. New new challenge modifiers for like yeah. you know it's like almost as if you were doing it yourself. Like okay, I'm gonna only allow myself to do this, this, and this, right, or right, I'm right. gonna. It's like adding mods to the yeah. to the game to yeah. the original just, game that like just keeps it more interesting and more innovative and a fresh. Feel. Yeah, or like even just the speedy action feels yeah, so distinct right. from yeah. what I'm used to in PUBG and Fortnite. Even yeah. Fortnite, which I think is a fast game compared to PUBG, yeah. um, does not have that same Call of Duty. Like when you're up close with someone in Call of Duty and you're turning corners and sneaking up on them and or you know they're behind you, you're like, oh, it's done. Um, and so up close, there's a speed and yeah. s- like it's very scary still. Yeah. Um, the thing that's new is, as Kato, you mentioned, the long range fights feel so off right now. Yeah, I, at least – in as coming from from PUBG, like it it felt like there wasn't this like medium range is medium range for a COD game, but like with the spaces in between these yeah. maps, that's longer than that what that range is. Right. I never so felt you're talking about sniping or Yeah, well like, like there's like there's like so in, 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 in PUBG you have like short, medium and long and like it feels like at any range you have options for that and this just from like the the amounts that we've been watching it felt like there was short and medium but the medium wasn't the didn't fill the space from medium to long I right see. like that in between space there's like a there's like a gap where things are too long for the medium range guns and like 
you can probably snipe at that range, but you it's going to be harder because you're zooming in, right? Like, it feels like there's, like, a little bit there where, because Call of Duty is normally such a close-quarters game, um, they it feels... It feels wrong now just because I'm coming from the experience where yeah. you have that entire range filled in. Yep. I like, wonder if the arenas are designed in such a way to mitigate that or does that still seem like such a problem? Right. Well, it's because the, it's – Like the arenas are like the individual like, right. kind of cities. But then in between is where the where if you get into engagements in between, it feels wrong – like not quite there or like just I'm not used to that yet so it feels strange right like even coming from PUBG to Fortnite it felt like those middle areas still felt fairly right. comparable right yeah but I, I will say that there are a lot of vehicles in this game so I feel like not a lot of the combat right. is actually supposed to take place in these middle areas right. I think you're supposed to be on the move to other arena sort of m- spaces rather mm-hmm. than you know sticking to the sort of outskirts of those those places i badly want to play with, with a group of people because yeah. i feel like squads will make it feel much different and i um, really want to use the jack-in-the-box and see what happens because i have so many questions about <laughs> what happens that, because in the trailer there's a zombie there is in the trailer right and there's jack bo- jack in the boxes in the game which is a grenade basically that you throw in zombie mode that will attract zombies and they'll conglomerate around the grenade and then they blow up and it's very fun and satisfying it's my favorite part about zombies um and there's jack in the box in the game and at first i was like oh maybe it's like it attracts players i don't know but i think that what it does is like a fake what if it was like a fake um uh, crate that would be dope if it put the blue <laughs> oh, that would be, cool. be really good and then blows up yeah yeah that would be good but I think what it does is it brings out zombies we'll see I, I would love that's that my guess. that would be damn I'm curious if it's that it could also be a certain dedicated map. yeah zombies yeah certain mode. arenas have like zombie enemies we'll like, see but it's definitely the first thing that I'd be like oh wow I kind of want to buy this game now so I can actually check out that mode that mode um, specifically, and then so you can play zombies with me, Austin. Nah. <laughs> so we can play zombies together. Nah, I'm gonna keep I'm it really real. Good. I'm really good. I'll show you. I how believe to you. Play. Uh, you know, I'll try it. I'll try it. Really? I'll try it. I'll try playing zombies mode with you one time at least. One time. I played those games. I don't really like them. Okay. I've never re- but I'll, I will give it a genuine, honest attempt. Okay. To play through the zombie, the Call of Duty zombies mode. Okay. Um, I'll say my favorite thing about this before we we move on is just. The Call of Duty – there are people in the world who have played a lot of Call of Duty who have not played any Battle Royale. We True. were watching yeah. uh, some folks on the IGN stream and one of them was a video producer there named Bobby. Bobby who and was, Mitchell. I don't know Bobby. I don't Shout know if outs. it was Mitchell. I thought it was Mitchell. It's not Mitchell. I think Mitchell was off mic. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. I thought it was. I don't remember I don't remember the other guy's name. Mitch is on production. I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I feel like an asshole <laughs> for that. I thought it was like host. Larry on production. There might have also been Larry. IGN's big. They have 70 people. That's not true. I made that number up. (laughs) Um, They have a lot of people. Uh, But Bobby was a video producer who has spent a lot of time clearly playing Call of Duty and is, like, good at it. And, like, when a firefight popped off, he was incredible to watch. But then there was lots of moments where he was just like, this is scary. Like, I'm, what do I, like, he's just, like, in the world between locations. Yeah. And just being. Like, saw the wall for the first time. I was like, what is that? Yeah. What is this weird blue wall? 
Uh, extremely funny. <laughs> and and in good. a good way. Like, I love the idea of this game mode coming to new audiences. Right. Yeah. I, obviously, Fortnite's fun. been everywhere, but, like, yeah. there are people who play Call of Duty, and it's cool to think about them getting the chance to, like, dip their toes in the genre. Especially since Call of Duty has such a distinct feel yeah. for it's, being a yes. first-person shooter. Like, it is very distinct in its gameplay, and so... Yep. And I feel like that is the sort of obstacle between a lot of Call of Duty audiences from playing other first-person shooters like Fortnite, or Fortnite's third-person, but from playing... You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, uh, it's cool that more people play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take it to waypoints. We're going to skip the question bucket today because we've already gone very long. Uh, do people have waypoints for the day? I'm getting some nods. Also, here's a thought. Uh, here's a thing that I would love to hear from people is would you like, if you're listening to this, to hear us do a longer form version of just waypoints, of just talking about things like whatever the things are that this group of people is about to bring to bear right now. Uh, <laughs> things from the past, museum exhibits. Anime. Anime. Gotcha uh, yeah. games. Gotcha games. Horror you know. movies of the 80s. All the classics. Music. Movies. Movies, comic books, video game. Oh, wait, no. We talked about video games. Yeah, got that one But let us know. Uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. You know where to find us. Waypoints. Who is up first? Who has something they are desperate to share? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, plug a, uh, uh, a podcast called Planet Money, but specifically an episode in there. Planet Money is a terrific NPR-produced uh, podcast. If uh, you want to know more about sort of, like, economic and financial issues, like, broken down into, like, 15-minute, like, easily digestible, like, easily understood segments, um, I found I got turned on to it during the 2008 financial crisis, and because they, like, sat and explained very complicated concepts in a way that uh, was like I didn't understand why people were losing their jobs, and like this podcast walked me through that, and I've continued to listen to them and since then. But they did this uh, episode recently called uh, "When Subaru Came Out," and it's an episode about how Subaru, the uh, car manufacturer, was about to basically like go into bankruptcy, and they did a sort of uh, 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 kind of a market a focus test to see like, well, who is buying our cars? Is there, is there a way that we can uh, sort of double down on those people like who they hadn't quite figured out like who buys Subarus and they sort of by accident and the podcast explains how like found out that uh, Subarus were like really big among lesbians specifically huh. and so then true. they did a whole marketing campaign that was you know this is in the like early 90s like during some some of the AIDS crisis and they, they did a targeted marketing campaign specifically at lesbians that could not that was coded lesbian without being a straight person would look at it and not understand why it was coded right and but a, but a, but but a, but a lesbian could look at it and pick up on some of the subtle winks and nods um that were going and so it's a really fascinating episode ended up paying off like then like subarus weren't just like this niche thing in like certain lgbtq communities like it became a thing where like certain subarus were like being sold at like exorbitant prices because like they wanted they want it's a, just a fascinating they helped save the company like turn turn the whole thing around um and it's a, a fascinating episode explaining like uh, how they catered to like this really um ignored market at a time when even considering like doing a campaign uh, targeted um at someone like that was uh, considered sacrilege and actually in the company like people weren't comfortable coming out while at the same time they were targeting <laughs> you know yeah. um uh, a specific group it's a fascinating little piece of like the uh, uh, the ways that um, 
you know, we often talk how capitalism is bad, and yet seeing yourself on like a billboard, seeing yourself yep. on a giant ad um, was important to a lot of people and ended up rewarding a company that took the time to highlight them. And it's just a, a fascinating little slice of, of history. Awesome. Danielle, Rob? Go ahead, Rob. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, the, probably the coolest thing I've done lately, I've, I went back to um, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, uh, which is a museum in northwest Massachusetts. And it's in this old converted uh, mill. And it's this, this enormous space, uh, really. And that's what kind of makes it interesting, is that it is extremely out of the way and incredibly inconvenient uh, location for for an art museum, but it also means they get to do like colossal installations that you just wouldn't be able to pull mm. off, and certainly not like long term installations. Like uh, it, it lets them like do stuff and run it for a year or two that like you wouldn't ever see probably in a major like urban museum, and certainly not for like that long, right? Because it just eats up so much space. One of the coolest things they've got running right now is this exhibition called Into the Light uh, by James Terrell. And it's this series. Um, <laughs> Kato just lifted his hands all the way up in the air. Uh, it's this series of studies of light and our relationship to it. And it's hard to describe because, like, it is just this experiential, immersive exhibit as you encounter different forms of light in different contexts. Uh, but probably one of the coolest, like to give you an idea of like what, what you're getting with this, there's this one room that you go down this long like corridor and it turns a couple times and it cuts off all the day, all the light from the main part of the museum. And you're just like walking into walking through pitch black. It's disorienting. Because you go from a well-lit, like, central space into, like, this darkened room. And the only thing that's visible in this room, there's two very, very low-light, like, track lighting lamps. But then the center of this room on one one wall, there is this massive blood-red rectangle. Uh, It's almost like a a luminescent Rothko painting in in, in some ways. (laughs) And it is so, like, deep and dark... And like, again, blood red, you like, as you first encounter it, you're not even sure it's there. Like it, it almost comes across as an illusion. Like you can, you keep faintly seeing the red, but then it disappears because your eyes haven't adjusted. So you keep like, Uh. is this even there? And you have no idea what is around you. Like I went in there with my partner and once we like made a couple of those turns, I had no idea where she was. Um, It was just like, I was completely like night blind. But the cool thing is eventually your eyes adjust and you get a sense of like one, your eyes can adjust really far. Like this room that was almost pitch black. Suddenly you're like looking around. Oh, there's benches in the back. There's you go sit in the benches and this is where the other cool part comes into it. It's something I really like. Now you're in the back. You're actually behind the entry to the room. People come into this tunnel and they emerge in front of you and they're blind and you huh. see them sort of groping around and like trying to That's get their bearings in the dark. And it is, again, because of that color and the darkness and the fact your eyes have adjusted, it is impossible not to feel this slightly like, I don't know, it's, it's this evocation of like 
almost a predatory perspective. Um, but like you are the thing in the dark suddenly, like right, you were, right. you were that person a minute ago where you're like, I have no idea where I'm at. Like, I'm kind of nervous, <laughs> like what's going on. And now like you are the thing inhabiting the darkness and it encourages you to just be dead silent and like just invisible. And the other thing is a lot of these, uh, exhibits kind of call out the, makes you acutely conscious of the ways you experience light. The fact that you're. Uh, you become aware of like the different way, like you know how you have different sensitivity to forms of light in in the right. physical structure of your eyes. You become acutely aware of like, oh, the center of your your attention is dimmer. You do not have as much light sensitivity there, and so right. you also become aware of like how the brain begins to invent logic and order and shapes and images in just like light when there might be nothing at all, the light might not be changing at all, but your brain will eventually like convince itself there's something happening here. It is a series <laughs> of exhibits like that. And they are incredibly cool. The last thing I'll say is there's this, there's a couple that you have to book in advance. There's one you walk into, it's this illuminated room called like perfectly clear. It is this massive installation. You walk into this like illuminated cube. You are surrounded by light. You have to put on little, um, like little bunny sh bunny slippers, almost like the little the little plastic bags that like CSIs wear, yeah. uh, you know, over their shoes <laughs> or like technicians, because uh, you don't want to dirty the floor. Because again, it has to be like perfectly white. You go in there, and it is such an embracing and encompassing light that you lose all sense of like space. Like you have no spatial sense. Like you walk into what appears, I swear to God, like a solid green wall. Like I was like, they're like, no, you can go in four feet and then there's going to be a drop. So just, just expect that. I took one foot over the one, one step over the threshold and immediately I was like, where the hell am I? I don't like, this isn't a room. Like you are sending, you, you, I feel like Roadrunner going through that fucking mountain. Right. It right, is right. such a cool thing. Um, and so highly awesome. recommended. So that is, again, the name of the, of the exhibit is James Terrell's Into the Light, Into the Light at Mass Mocha. Awesome. T-U-R-R-E-L-L for -L James Terrell. Uh, Danielle. So I've been watching the Twilight Zone again. The original I saw Twilight that. Zone. Lots of canted angles. Lots of... Uh... Yeah, lots of canted angles. Quite a few. Uh, an episode... I'll talk about an episode that's a little lesser known. And it, not that it's not known, but... You know, I watched uh, Time Enough at Last the other night. And of course, that's a classic. That's the one where the... The nice little librarian right. person. He's not a librarian. He's, he works at a bank and he loses his glasses after he finally survives an apocalypse and is able to read all the books in his life. And it's very sad. It's a beautiful anti-war message, but also very sad. Okay, I watched that one the other night. But the one I kind of want to talk about a little bit uh, is an episode called The Lonely, uh, which was from the first season. I'll just read you that, like, Rod Serling little top part of it so you, you Please. get oriented. Please. <clears throat> Witness, if you will, a dungeon made out of mountains, salt flats, and the sands that stretch to infinity. The dungeon has an inmate, James A. Corey, and this is his residence, a metal shack, an old touring car that squats in the sun and goes nowhere, for there is nowhere to go. For the record, let it be known that James A. Corey is a convicted criminal placed in solitary confinement. Confinement in this case stretches as far as the eye can see, because this particular dungeon is on an asteroid nine million miles from the <sighs> Earth. Now witness, if you will, a man's mind and body shriveling in the sun, a man dying of loneliness. So in this episode, that's how it starts. Yeah. It's a guy 
uh, he's part of this whole new sort of Earth Council's way of punishing people, which is putting them on an asteroid alone and being in horrifying solitary yeah. confinement. So it's about, you know, horrible uh, penal codes, but it's also very much a proto um, androids rights, robots rights kind of thing, because a kindly space captain who comes by on his supply runs. Every three months, this guy gets a supply run of, of, you know, food so he can survive in the sun. And he takes kindly upon James Corey, and he thinks that he was wrongfully convicted. He said, I believe you when you say you killed in self-defense and not, you know, you're not a murderer. So he leaves him a female robot, which he calls Robit. They all say Robit. Great. The whole time. No one knows. Throughout the whole episode, Robit. She's a robot. And uh, it's very much about uh, love and falling in love with uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, obviously, the entire show is so ridiculously sexist, it's not even funny. I mean, it's this is literally from the 50s. Uh, and there are obviously a lot of episodes that are fairly progressive, that have very progressive ideals. But you, you really do have to kind of put yourself in that mindset of like, okay, this is, sure is from a different time. And it sure is uh, uh, capable of being read in many interesting and nuanced ways. Uh, but... Yeah, really, really fascinating episode. Uh, I'm really enjoying going back and watching a lot of these. It's it's the show is so so unsubtle and so wonderful uh, in a lot of ways. And there are of course some horrible, goofy episodes as well. Sure, uh, those are so much fun to watch. Actually, the terrible like dog shit episodes that were like, oh Rod, buddy, I don't <laughs> I don't know where this draft came from, but all right, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, really, really enjoying it, and uh, that that's a good one to watch. It's an interesting one to watch. I cannot wait for Jordan Peele's upcoming. Yeah, when is that? Series. When is that? Uh, it's shooting now. Okay. It's uh, sometime spring of next year. Okay. Um, but he had, he was recently asked uh, um, about it, and they were like, "Come on, man, do the voice. Like, be the intro." And he was uh. like, "No." He was like, "That was my rule up front." And he said, "But I'm starting to reconsider." <laughs> <laughs> That's Good. exciting. I hope he Good. does it. I hope he does it. Uh, I want to quickly shout out an article by Colin Space Twinks called The Giant Robot Series. That's a civics lesson in disguise, uh, which is up over on VRV. Um, it is a uh, an article about a, an anime series called Pat Labor, the early years. I want to surprise everybody. It's about giant robots. What? what? I know. Totally, totally wild that huh? I bring mechs to, to bear. Here's just a, a brief uh, a brief paragraph. Uh, it's an old as dirt observation that mecha anime isn't really about the mecha, but Pat Labor is not only not about the mecha, uh, nor the people that are piloting them, nor even the people who have to repair them, but every part of society the giant cop robots would have to coexist with. The pre-existing systems, societies, and bureaucracies that they slot into and the new ones they create by virtue of their existence. The result is a vision of the future focused on the nuts and bolts of daily life, luring the viewer in with promises of hot-blooded mech action and then saying, okay, but what I really want to talk about is how they'd handle the paperwork for pension benefits and property damage. Uh, it's <laughs> a great piece. Awesome. It's, a, it's really good. Um, it's worth reading. Uh, the, the show itself is also fairly strong. I, I haven't seen it in probably five or six years. Uh, but but this reading this piece made me want to go back and read it again. It's called The Giant Robot Series. That's a civics lesson in disguise. Beautiful. Uh, so that is my waypoint. Natalie and Kato, do either of you have something quickly before we wrap up? Mm. I know I'm kind of springing this on you. Great British Bake Off is a really nice show for <laughs> night for yeah. night time. I saw some of that for the Favorite first time this weekend. It's so good. They, they, people had bake. to make a, a little food sculpture, and some people didn't do well. Oh. but like the oh, judges no. were so nice about it. But it was. But sometimes 
they're nice, but sometimes they're just like, this is awful. But they smile, hmm. so it's fine. I recommend not eating that. Yeah, I wouldn't eat that. So, wow. I don't know. The show's good because it doesn't make me, Austin and I had this conversation, where it doesn't make us hungry when right. we're watching it late at night. But it's nice to watch late at night. It's nice to watch. It's not like watching like a regular cooking show where, yeah, I'm like, where it's like, yo, I could eat whatever that is you're cooking right now. Yeah, the other one, the Great British Bake Off is like, I appreciate the craft that is going into this, but I do not feel the need to consume this it's right now. It's too late to eat a cake. It's too anyway. late to eat a cake. Yeah. I don't like cake. It's too late to eat a cake. Oh, we already uh, went through this that you guys don't like cake. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway. I had a friend who was this close to getting a contestant spot on the American version they were considering doing of the Great British Bake Off, Ooh. which fell apart due to some unsavory reasons, apparently. But anyway, oh. she's a very good baker, but she was like raising her game and I was like hanging out around at their house and it was very bad and destructive because she like she Aww. was like no 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 like she like she was she was definitely enjoying herself but like uh-huh. she was like here I just baked this like seven layer like uh seven layer cake but it wasn't it wasn't a cake it was also like a flaky pastry I was like a, it was like a puff pastry layer <laughs> cake it was a weird thing it was delicious and like okay. you have a little bit of that and she's like mm, I didn't quite nail it did I she would pick it up from in front of you into the trash oh, no. and she was like oh, I'm going to make another one give me a couple hours and so oh, but God. like even even as she's doing that like you're still getting fed a lot of fucking cake right and of course. like yeah. I love cake that's a lot of I cake I love cake and so cake. she keeps bringing out See? cake and I'm like well, I guess I want to help you get on the show. So I'll just, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> you'll be, you'll take I one from to, the team. I need a slice. I just need to, mm, gotta, I think. Get that yeah. mouthfeel just right. right. Shout out to Supreme Bakery for making us a Spyro cake oh, yeah, we, that yeah. Activision sent us. Go to the social the socials to see that one. To see the updates on that. Kato, do you have a waypoint before we close? Play Destiny. Okay. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Uh, play Destiny says Kato. That's that's a Patrick thing. Patrick says no. Uh, Kato and some folks from the community actually may be doing a, a fresh uh, oh, yeah. playthrough of the raid when it drops on Friday. So stay tuned on our socials for that. Those socials, by the way, you can find at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypoint vice, over on youtube.com slash waypoint vice, and twitch.tv slash waypoint. You can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Let's go around the room, real and virtual. Natalie, where can people find you? At Natalie Watson. Kato. A underscore Kato underscore appears. Danielle. At Danielle R.I. Patrick Klepik. At Patrick Klepik. And Rob. At Rob Zachney. Uh, as always, shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the pale, off the album Pale Machine or the Pale Machine album. Maybe I say it like yeah. that from now on. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, and as always, Danielle, how do, we, uh, how do we take them out? How do we say it to them? What do we say? What are words? What are words? They're very important. And we say be good and be good at it. Peace. Hey. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 